The reading today is from Luke uh, chapter 24, uh, verses 13 to 27. On the large print Bibles, it's found on page 1695, and on the Pew Bibles, uh, 1061. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Telling our stories. Uh, a, few mu- a couple of months ago, uh, we took up jogging. Um, now, you, you may say, so what? Um, at least, I like to think of it as jogging. It's, if you were to watch us go through Farnham Park, you, you may not quite use that term, but that's what we like to think of it as. So, so what? What makes this remarkable is that for many years, I have not just been agnostic about the subject of jogging, I have been militantly opposed to it. And in particular, I I have to confess, uh, I have at times used expressions such as, a man of his age ought to have more sense. (laughs) His age being anything over 50. So there is something of a kind of public confession happening, happening today, because I know some of you run. So what happened? A few weeks ago, we met a delightful lady called Caroline, and in the course of conversation, she was clearly, uh, you know, she, had, she was complaining of just a little bit of aching in her legs. And she then explained that the reason that she was, and this is a lady of about our sort of age, the reason she had some, pain, some uh, stiffness in her legs was that two days before she had run 38 miles. And of course, when someone says that to you, you ask them a little bit more about this. 
and particularly from my perspective, questioning her sanity. But as soon as we asked the question, her face lit up. And she went on to tell us how two years, she only started running two years ago. And she just was radiant as she told us how this transition into running has transformed her life. And you could see it on her face. And of course, she was the picture of health. So there was something about this encounter that kind of uh, won me over. She offered then, uh, on the following week when we met her, to meet us in Farnham Park and teach us how to run. Uh, I, I didn't really know there was anything involved other than just going out the door, but we learned how to warm up, uh, we learned how to stride, and we learned how to do, to do stretches at the end of the run. And surely enough, um, we thought we'd give it a try, and we started to feel the benefits of running. So how did I transform from being a militant unbeliever to a convert in running? By the time I had decided to take up her offer of running, I knew nothing about running. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about running. I didn't even know that you had to warm up or stretch or any of this stuff. And I certainly didn't know kind of some of the theory behind and of the research that's been done as to the, to the benefits of running. We were won over by someone coming alongside and telling us their story. It, there was nothing more to it than that. And when we first met, if she had tried to tell me, you know, just say, do you realize that these are the benefits of running, uh, and, and quote research papers to me, I would have just switched off in an instant. I'm just not interested. I take other forms of exercise, I walk, I do other things. So I would not have been, I, I, would, I would have switched off from that sort of conversation. But the, you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? It was the power of her personal story combined with the passion and radiance with which she presented it to us that made me a convert. And the authenticity of it, that's what won me over. When I was at university, the, the questions, the arguments were all about truth. What mattered was truth, and where did truth lie? Did truth exist? And that's what it was all about. So as young Christians preparing or trying to be disciples of Christ, it was our ability to defend the truth of the gospel was what mattered, and that's what we were trying to achieve. And in those days, we devoured books by Francis Schaeffer. You remember those wonderful books, terrific books. Uh, there weren't so many books available in those days, and we devoured them, and we were convinced that to be a faithful disciple of Christ, we had to be able to win arguments 
and defend the truth of the gospel at the level of reason and understanding and win our unbelieving friends. The problem was that 95% of it were not really up to the task. And we became more and more disillusioned as we lost the arguments because we weren't really, we didn't have the knowledge and the capability to engage in that sort of way with most, with a lot of the people we met. And I suppose in the end, many of us decided we get on with life and we leave that task to those who are better equipped to do it. What we could never have imagined at that stage, and I'm sure you can identify with this, would be a new generation that would come along for whom the question, does it work, is much more important than is it true? Because for this generation, truth is only what we choose to believe. We live in a very different world, don't we? It's a very different world. Now, some people, some Christians, get very alarmed by this and pretend even that it doesn't, hasn't happened and continue with the belief that if we hurl enough Christian doctrine at people's heads, some of it might stick. And it doesn't work. In practice, all we do is either crush people or drive them away. Let me go back to jogging. <laughs> Never thought I would hear myself say that. As we started to run with Caroline, a strange thing happened. She started to talk about the, the research that has gone on, and there's, I didn't realize there was such a huge bank of research, thoroughly scientific research, that proved many of the health benefits of running. <laughs> The problem I had on those first runs was that conversation was not possible. Uh, when I tried to speak, all that would come out was a sort of high-pitched snort. Uh, and um, we have goals in running. Those of you who run will, will identify this. I'm learning all this stuff. And, and my goal is to be able to complete a short sentence. Um, but I'm, I'm not there yet. I can say words now, but not quite sentences. Anyway, I became fascinated by what she was telling us, and I even found myself at lunchtime two or three days googling research into running. And there is a fascinating, there's work that's been done in America on thousands of people over many years. And there's a great deal of evidence of the cancer, various cancers, diabetes, heart disease, and so on, that, that are benefited from, from running. So having been won over by the story she told and the enthusiasm with which she told it and the evidence in her own life that it worked, I was converted. And having been converted, I acquired an interest in the truth about running, even though the truth itself would never have won me over. I don't misunderstand me here. Truth's important. And Christian apologetics is extremely important, even though it's an unfortunate term. And we're indebted to the many Christian writers and broadcasters who are able to engage with the new atheism and even debate with prominent new atheists. We're indebted to these people. They've been called by God for a very special mission. 
But however, and this is the point that I, I, I really want to make, the most effective witness to the power, to the transforming power of the love of Jesus are the stories that we tell. The most, transform, the, the most powerful witness are the stories that we tell. And if I can paraphrase the words of St. Francis, even using words. You'll probably have heard the quote from St. Francis that he used to tell his followers. As he sent them out, he said, preach the gospel by all means. And if it's really necessary, you could even use words. So let me repeat it. The most effective witness to the reality of Jesus Christ are the personal stories we tell, even using words. Now, of course, just like my conversion to running, anyone who encounters the risen Lord and experiences their love will have a thirst to learn more. And the remarkable thing is that when we turn to the Bible to try to, to, to learn more of this wonderful Jesus that we've encountered, we discovered that the truth about God is framed in a story. What we're reading about is a story. A story of God, of Israel, of Jesus, of the world, of healing, of self-giving love. And contrary to the postmodern age, we find as followers of Jesus that there is a meta-narrative, there is an overarching story, there is truth. There is a, a way of making sense of this world. It's not just my story, it's God's story. There is indeed truth, and that truth lies outside of my own imagination. There's hope. We say together on occasions, don't we, uh, the Apostles' Creed. It is a retelling of the story. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is a story, and we should shout hallelujah when we say this. It's an amazing story. But it's a story that has not yet reached its climax. He will come again. It's a story that is working toward a climax. You ever wondered why this creed of the Christian church should mention someone as insignificant as Pontius Pilate? Why? Because it roots this truth of Jesus in a particular time and in a particular place. This is a historical fact. The stories that we tell in our lives are a story within a greater story. I like the story we had read to us about the two downcast disciples on the road to a mess. 
confused, trying to make sense of a crucified Messiah. That's a contradiction in their mind. How could Messiah be crucified? And Jesus comes alongside. They don't recognize him. What does he say? Does he give them a lecture on systematic theology? No, this is what he said, beginning with Moses and the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He told, or more accurately, retold the story. And the passage ends by telling us that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. When the children of Israel, going back to the book of Exodus, it's just on, the, on, a, on a similar theme, were given the Passover feast, they were given very, you remember, very detailed instructions as to how it would be carried out. This is what it says. When you enter the land, so they're, they're on the boundary about to enter the land. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And then there's all the details of the Passover and how it should be conducted. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Reasonable question for your child to ask. Is the response, give them a list of bullet points and sacramental theology? No. Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. He spared our homes and he struck down the Egyptians. When they ask you what it means, tell them a story. So let's paraphrase that. When we're asked, what does this strange act of communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, whatever you choose to call it, what, what does it mean to you? Our response is not that we give a bullet point list of, of doctrinal principles. We tell them the story of God's saving act, the story of Jesus. The story in which we have been invited into to participate in. We respond with a story. So the response to the postmodern question, does this strange stuff about Jesus work? And this is the encouraging part. Because we don't need a degree in theology or philosophy to respond to that question. It works because I'm a witness to it, and that's what we were called to be. When we have truly died and risen with Christ so that our self has been thoroughly deconstructed and put back together again by the living God, when that happens, it is visible, it's observable. Our lives will tell a story. The reality, and I think this is really important in this age, the reality of Jesus is not just a good idea, a good philosophy. It is good news. It is news of an event in history in which we can participate. Let's get that. Good news, not a good idea or a good philosophy. Find Jesus and you find the truth, and the truth will set you free. John the Baptist heard about Jesus, 
and sent a disciple to ask Jesus a fairly straightforward, blunt question. Are you the one that we've been waiting for? <laughs> Are you the one? Are you the right one? Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Not go back to John with a new theology. Just go back and tell him what's happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Just go back and tell Jesus, tell John the story of what you've seen and heard. So let's not lose hope in a world where truth is nothing more than what I choose to believe. This world needs Jesus, but it quite rightly asks for evidence that it works. And therein lies the challenge. Does my life tell the story of the transforming power of Jesus? Does it radiate love and joy? I wonder if my life radiates the love and joy of Jesus, the way of uh, the love of running is radiated by this lovely lady Caroline that is teaching us to run. That's my challenge. Well, a final word about telling our stories. Can I add a, a word on the end of that? We must tell our stories honestly. The Jesus who brings healing, transformation, and hope is the same Jesus who says, in this world you will have trouble. And it brought to mind Isaiah 43, the words of God to his troubled people. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine, says the Lord. When, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. That's the promise of God. What a promise. So our story, the story that we tell, acknowledges darkness, despair, hurt, loss, and failure. These experiences of life form part of our story. Telling our story is not glossing over this stuff. Telling our story is experiencing life in all its rawness and testifying to the Jesus who's gone through that with us. Our story is also about failure, but it's about reconciliation. That's why week by week we confess our sins, we wipe the slate clean, we receive again the cleansing the forgiveness, the acceptance 
Our story, therefore, is not, is, it has to be real, it has to be authentic. And may God encourage us today in this journey. And may the Spirit empower us. Last week, our speaker encouraged us again to be a church of word and spirit. We need God's Spirit as well as His Word to live the transformed lives that He calls us to. May, may He enable us to radiate the love and the joy of knowing Him. Shall we just pause for a moment before we, before we pray? We reflect back on how our service commenced, what it means to be able to, along with Jesus, speak to God as our Father. Table fellowship with the Trinity. Lord, our prayer this morning, along with Paul, is in view of God's mercy. May your Spirit help us in our weakness to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And Lord, empower us to live authentic lives that radiate your love and joy that emerge from being part of your family because we ask in Jesus' name, amen.